So today, the first day of September, or December, whoa. <laughs> Somebody didn't get enough sleep over this break. Um, introduces a new theme to us here at Agatink, awe. I want to discuss the science of awe. Let's use science to answer the question in your order of service. Why do we humans need awe? What is awe? The question of what something is is at the heart of scientific discussion. We compare and describe objects and materials based on their properties, such as color, luster, shape, size, texture, and weight. But we can't do that with the concept of awe. Even scientists studying it don't define it truly precisely. Psychologist Dr. Keltner calls awe the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your understanding of the world. If I were to very unscientifically poll everyone today, I have no doubt that we'd, we would each have a unique definition of awe. So what type of experiences cause awe in you? Awe, like art, is something that we know when we see it or when we feel it. It came for me when I first looked up one frosty night in Vermont and saw the Milky Way for the first time. Or the first time I took a cruise and saw nothing in the distance in any direction but ocean. It comes to me when we light a fire in our fireplace, or when I see a baby born, which is how I spent my Thanksgiving day. Awe is also contains a cultural component. In the United States, personal accomplishments are more often reported as a source of awe as compared to respondents in China, who are far more likely to report feeling awe in awe of another person. So how can we define any emotion that can be caused by so many different experiences? Let's start with the dictionary. Awe comes from the Old English and Old Norse from the words for fear and dread, specifically of divine beings. For many centuries, the only real definition of awe was in relation to philosophy and religious experience. Current science defines an experience of awe as having two central features in common. Perceived vastness and a need for accommodation. Vastness doesn't just refer to the physical, but also to the intangible. It applies equally to a redwood forest as it does to a complex mathematical theorem. Kaltner again writes that vastness refers to anything that is experienced as being much larger than the self or the self's ordinary level of experience. Need for accommodation refers to psychologist Jean Piaget's, Piaget's process of adjusting mental structures that cannot assimilate a new experience. In other words, your conception of the world needs to shift or expand in order to make sense of an awe experience. Kaltner and his colleague Jonathan Haidt emphasized that awe involves a need for accommodation, which may or may not be met. The success of one's attempts at accommodation may partially explain why awe can be both terrifying when one fails to understand or enlightening when one succeeds. The need for accommodation, the accommodation feature of awe explains why we find these experiences so mind-blowing. Awe actually prompts us to question and try to revise our understanding of the world. So now that we have a working definition for awe, how do we measure awe? Researchers have developed a number of methods for studying awe, including asking participants to recall a time when they experienced awe, showing participants' videos of stimuli likely to induce awe, such as grand vistas or videos of childbirth, or, and taking participants to an awe-inspiring environment, such as a forest. To, me to measure, 
perceived vastness and need for accommodation, researchers generally ask participants questions designed to break down the experience. I'm, I'm going to point out two studies in particular um, on awe from the Greater Good Science Center at Berkeley. In the first study, scientists had participants fill in the blank of the following phrase, I am blank. They did so 20 times, either while standing before an awe-inspiring replica of the T-Rex, um, or by standing in the exact same place, but oriented away from the T-Rex so that they were looking down a hallway. Those looking at the dinosaur were more likely to find themselves as a member of a culture, a species, a university, a moral cause. As Kultner notes, awe embeds the individual self in a social identity. The second study utilized a grove of eucalyptus trees near Berkeley's Museum of Paleontology. In the spirit of Emerson and Muir, who found awe in nature and deepened our understanding of the sublime, scientists staged a minor accident near that grove to see if awe would prompt greater kindness. The participants either looked up into the tall trees or looked away at a 90 degree angle at the blank wall of a science building. Then they then encounter a person who stumbled, dropping a handful of pens in the dirt. The participants who had been gazing up at the awe-inspiring trees picked up more pens. Experiencing awe seemed to make them more inclined to help someone in need. They also reported feeling less entitled and self-important than the study participants who looked at the building. So why do we humans need awe? This is a question we can approach in two ways. First, we must consider the long arc of evolution. Why did awe become a part of our species' makeup through all those years? As humans evolved and we became a social species, we defended ourselves, hunted, reproduced, raised vulnerable offspring, slept, fought, and played in social collectives. But the shift to society required redefinition from self-interests towards supporting the welfare of others. Experiencing awe might have helped us make that shift. Awe allows us to identify as part of a collective and prioritize the needs of others. Psychologists Alice Shiriko and David Yaden have also suggested that awe may have evolved because it helped people identify safe places to seek shelter, such as environments with large vistas that would have allowed our hunter-gatherer relatives to see approaching predators and attackers. Awe's ability to create cognitive accommodation may be adaptive because it encourages us to take in new information and adjust our mental structure around this information, helping us navigate our world and increasing our odds for survival. Finally, Oz's ability to make us feel more connected with others and more helpful and generous may have also helped ensure our ancestors' survival and reproductive success. A second answer to the question, why do we humans need awe, is relative, relevant to the world in 2019. What does awe do for you and me today? In this respect, the science is proving to be clear. As Einstein has told us, awe stimulates wonder and curiosity. No more is this apparent than in our children, who we can see experiencing awe on an almost daily basis, and ask unending questions <laughs> to understand their, our world. Biographers also routinely discover this in their studies of innovators. Awe drives people to paradigm-shifting discoveries and new technologies, such was the case of Darwin, Muir, and Einstein. While the studies I have, we have discussed so far have focused on the immediate effects of awe, results from one study suggest frequently experiencing awe over time 
could potentially have positive long-term health benefits. One study investigated awe as it affects one branch of the immune system known as the cytokine system. Cytokines are chemical messengers often produced by cells in damaged tissue. Many cytokines elicit an inflammatory response, which is important for killing pathogens and healing wounds. Psychology is discovering that a hyperactive cytokine response, however, renders an an individual chronically sick and vulnerable to disease, a process that may be involved in how poverty shortens lives. When a study recently looked at the relationship between the cytokine system and various positive emotions, they reported that of all the positive emotions, only awe predicted reduced levels of cytokines to a statistically significant degree. Though this is still quite speculative, it raises the possibility that some of the pernicious effects of poverty are due to awe deprivation. These discoveries are being made at a time when arguably our culture is becoming more awe-deprived, and we are no exception. We spend more time working and on our phones, guilty, and less time outdoors and with other people. We fail to notice the beauty of the natural world or witness acts of kindness. Attendance at arts events, live music, theater, museums, and galleries have dropped in recent years. And this goes for our children, too. Arts and music programs in schools are being dismantled. Time spent outdoors for unscheduled, unstructured exploration are being sacrificed for resume-building activities. At the same time, our culture has become more individualistic, more narcissistic, more materialistic, and less connected to others. In the face of these big cultural trends, our own individual actions may seem meaningless. Yet the research on awe suggests that modest steps can have a major impact on our well-being. We know what awe is, we know why it has developed as a human trait, and why it's necessary for us not only psychologically or as a source for inspiration, but also how it impacts the human creature physically. So how then do we seek out awe? We need to actively pursue the experience that nurture our own hunger for awe, be it through appreciating the trees in your neighborhood, a complex piece of music such as Brad has gifted us with today, patterns on the wind and water, a person who presses on against all odds, or the everyday nobility of others. So we can start looking for awe here today by taking an awe walk. So I want you to come with me. Just take a moment to get comfortable in your chairs. I want you to loosen your jaw. I always tell this to pregnant women when they're giving birth, loosen your jaw. Um, If you're willing and able, place your hands on your knees, palms up. Close your eyes and open yourself to taking an awe walk. We begin an awe walk as we do all contemplative exercises with the breath. Take a deep breath in. Count to six as you inhale and six as you exhale. Feel the air move in your nasal passages and hear the sound of your breath. Feel your feet on the ground and listen to the surrounding sounds. Return to your breath. Count to six while you inhale and six while you exhale. Shift your awareness now 
so that you're open to what is around you, to things that are vast, unexpected, things that surprise and delight. Take a deep breath in. Count to six as you inhale, and six as you exhale. Let your attention be open in exploration for what inspires awe. Your attention might appreciate vast spaces and the sounds and sights within them, or you might shift to small patterns. For example, a plant growing on the ground or the veins on leaves. Bring your attention back to the breath. Count to six as you inhale, and six as you exhale. When you feel ready, go ahead and open your eyes and come back to the sanctuary. Coming out of these experiences of awe, we often feel a sense of wonder. The striking thing, once you really start to think about awe and try to practice it in your life, is how omnipresent it is. As you move through your day, take moments of those moments, take notice of those moments that bring you wonder, that give you goosebumps. These are your opportunities for awe. Einstein was not a religious man in the common sense of the word, but he realized the power of awe in his own life and work. Through our reading today, we learn that his perception of awe confirmed for him a sense of spirit or order to the universe. Our Time for All Ages talked about the importance of renewing our potential energy, recharging our batteries, and awe is one easy way to do that. Go out and find your awe moments and listen to them carefully. See where they guide you. What you'll find in how they stir humility and wonder, is that they will point you towards what you're supposed to do while you're here on Earth. I'm going to conclude with some final words from Albert Einstein, conveying his sense of the vastness of awe. It's enough for me to contemplate the mystery of conscious life perpetuating itself through all eternity, to reflect upon the marvelous structure of the universe, which we can dimly perceive and try to humbly comprehend even an infinitesimal part of the intelligence manifested in nature. May it be so.